Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Girlish Podcast. This is our first part of our two-part interview with the wonderful Corey Ray. Corey is a trans activist, the first trans prom queen, and a columnist for Stylecaster. We're so excited to have her on, and we're incredibly excited for you all to hear our conversation. Hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 14 of the Girlish Podcast. As always, my name is Gage, and I'm here with my co-host, Jay. Hey, everyone. It's me, Jay. And today is a special episode because we are joined with our very first official guest, Corey Ray. Hi, everyone. So basically, Corey Ray is going to be our first official guest on the Girlish Podcast. So as an introduction, we kind of just want to get to know you a little bit, let the audience get some insight on your background, stuff like that. Um, So if you don't mind, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, any facts you think are really relevant at the moment. Okay. Well, I'm Corey, as we all know by now. I'm originally from Los Angeles, but I grew up for the most part in New Jersey, which um, is where I really came into myself and discovered who I am and my gender identity. And then I stayed growing up in New Jersey, went to college in New York, and moved back to LA two and a half years ago. And the past three years, I have been an activist, a writer uh, for the transgender community. I am the first openly um, transgender woman to win prom queen in high school, which was 10 years ago now. I cannot believe it. And yeah, that's like the, that's the gist, I suppose. I work on writing about dating, fashion, sex, beauty, lifestyle, health, anything in that realm, uh, and tips for trans women. I have a column on stylecaster.com, which I really focus on humanizing us um, and our community, as well as my blog and a bunch of other projects, I suppose. Yeah, we're honestly so excited to have you on, and we're really happy that we were able to you know, get into contact with you. Um, we're both huge supporters of you and everything that you stand for and everything that you do. And we truly believe in your whole movement and everything that all the waves that you've created. So That's thank really you so much nice. for coming thank on. You. Yeah, of course. I'm so happy to be on with you both. Yeah. So a big message in our podcast is that we want to showcase that although we are trans women, there are so many different avenues that a trans woman can go down once they start their transition. Um, we've said it multiple times, but basically no two transitions are the same. Absolutely. Uh, so we're just really glad to have another perspective on the show to share with you. You did come out a little bit earlier than us. So it's going to be really interesting to dive into like the types of representation and how the world reacted to your transition earlier on. Um, And that's definitely something that we can go into later on in the podcast. Okay. But yeah, um, just another big thank you. And we're so excited to get into today's episode and talk about all about you, hear your, your true perspective on everything and get a a feel for who you are. and, And you can honestly give so much to the community. And so, yeah, if we just jump right into it, I think it's really important to, you know, understand um, your like whole start of your transition and how everything kind of blossomed and came about. I came out in like around 2016, I think Gage around 
2015. So we kind of grew up with a lot of like YouTube and a lot of, you know, we saw a lot of representation around that time. Caitlyn Jenner kind of came out around that time. So the media and people were starting to understand the trans label a little bit better. So we were, you know, and kind of in that, that prime, I guess, area where the trans identity was starting to become more talked about and discussed. But as for you, um, you came out a a little earlier around 2009, 2010. And so we just wanted to like hear your perspective on representation at that time and like what, how that was for you. Yeah. Well, I guess a little bit of background on me is I was um, always myself. And when I was two, even my mom, I asked her for a Cinderella dress and for Barbies and she really didn't think much about it. Um, she always says that she felt something very different um, with delivering me than with my brother. And so every time I would um, be in my natural state um, of wanting, you know, pink and Barbies and makeup, and she kind of just would always reflect on that feeling that she felt when bringing me into this world. And so for me, my experience is a little different because although I wasn't too in saying I'm trans, there, there was definitely something more, but I was born in 93. So I did grow up in the nineties where there wasn't much trans representation, although there was the movie boys don't cry. Um, and you know, eventually there were movies like trans America with Felicity Hoffman. So, uh, although yes, Caitlin did open up completely that conversation for us, there was a bit of knowledge about this type of community. Of course, there was zero understanding, barely any visibility, and no equality. So for her, she knew something was different, but couldn't pinpoint what it was. And everyone growing up thought I would just be gay, and she kind of felt that there was something more, but also didn't feel like I was a cross-dresser when I was playing dress-up or, or anything like that. So because I knew I had her support, I kind of just was myself and she allowed me to be myself. So when we moved to New Jersey and boys and girls um, that were classmates of mine started to be weirded out by me playing with Barbies or wanting to play dress up with them and their parents were also starting to become uncomfortable. That was really when I started to realize that I was being, uh, I was some way different than they were. And I internalized that and I took that with me through my life and sort of started to um, suppress my natural desires and only have them in the confines of my room and in my head. And I created a fantasy world of what life would be like if I were seen how everyone else could see me. And when I was 12, I was in career day in the seventh grade and a mom was showing all of her advertisements in these magazines And I had a People magazine, and inside was the story of a female to male transgender teen. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that word transgender. And I immediately knew that's what had defined me because I had already known the term gay, which at the time I thought was when a guy liked another guy, and I didn't feel like I was a guy. So I saw that word, and then the the sentence that teen used was trapped in the wrong body, which at the time, I really, it really resonated with me. I felt completely trapped and totally alone, Um, as I'm sure you both can relate to. I I, I didn't know that anyone else, or maybe you you don't know this, but 
I did not think that there was anyone in the world who felt the way I did. But this was, I think I found the word in like 2005, 2006. And in the time between telling my mom that I was trans and transitioning, which was about three years, there was really no access to information without it being a cross-dresser, um, drag queen, transsexual, um, you know how it goes. Old, old stigmas around the trans community that don't hold as much anymore. And she really couldn't find anyone to, one, help me, but also Google you know, wasn't where it is today. We were using this site called Ask Jeeves. There wasn't much information written about um, transgender people. And they're also, I mean, in a Word document, you couldn't even type the word transgender without it being underlined in red. You had to do trans-gender. So it really was such a different time. There was no social media. Um, YouTube had just started, it, you know, just started. And there was no way for me to really know um, how to transition or what to do until I was a junior in high school. So I lived a long life already knowing who I was, but not being able to live that. And that was not great. And it really weighed on my soul. And my mom saw that and asked me if I wanted to start wearing her clothes. And I did. And a couple months later, we found a therapist who would finally see me and she helped to start transition me. And that is when we really started to get more knowledge about what hormone treatments will be like and an endocrinologist and surgery if I wanted it and and the lifestyle and the community of, of, of trans people rather than this being like me being by myself. And because I was so young and I hadn't gone through male puberty yet, I was able to go through female puberty and gain passing privilege, which we all know now is made up of, you know, your socioeconomic background and your genetic makeup. Can you afford hormones, a new closet, surgery? And do you have a smaller frame? Um, do you, you know, look like your mom? All things that our society has put the pressure on trans women to abide by, even though we don't need to. But at the time, because I still didn't have Caitlin or Laverne Cox or all of these, or I didn't even know about Christine Jorgensen, who was around in the 50s and 60s. So I thought that I could live the rest of my life completely in secret, which we call stealth or used to call stealth. And I went to college and did all four years of college in which I had sexual reassignment surgery and partied. I had a boyfriend. I had girl, like college girlfriends. And I kind of lived in these two lives. And I really couldn't do that anymore. And when Caitlin came out, it gave me that opportunity where people were, like you said, um, starting to see us. And I said, okay, well, maybe if Caitlin can do this, I can bring a new perspective, which is that we can be born transgender and grow up with a family that supports us and a community that's there for us. And although it's very important that we recognize um, and understand all the horrible things that we do go through as women, we also should be focusing on the successes that we go through as, as trans women or women. And so I came out um, three years ago through a blog post 
and have since been working on changing and humanizing um, us uh, in, in the community. That's awesome. First of all, I want to say shout out to your mom because I, I think, yeah, I think the biggest or I know that the biggest thing that can determine whether or not someone is comfortable enough to transition, especially when they're younger, is support from their parents. And that was a big factor in why I took so long to come out. And it wasn't that I was afraid that my parents would disown me. It's just that the possibility of that maybe happening is what scared me the most. And I was born in 94. So a year after you, it just took me a little bit longer to figure everything out. Um, (laughs) But at that moment, like the biggest representation that I remember was severely negative. And it was on like Maury and Jerry Springer where they would have episodes devoted to like, is this a man or is this a woman? Like, oh, I'm cheating on my wife with a transsexual or some as you said, like a derogatory word that we don't really use anymore. Absolutely. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those were the types of representation that I saw. And for so long, I was scared because I saw the way that the audience reacted and like people were laughing and making fun of them. And I was starting to feel those feelings at a young age. But I was like, I don't want to end up on Jerry Springer or Mari or have people laugh at me and stuff like that. Um, So did that type of negative representation affect you at all? Or do you think that because your mom was always so accepting that it kind of overrided all of those negative feelings? You know, you bring up a really interesting point. I completely forgot. I mean, I saw those things too. My mom was always like, do not watch those types of shows. So I might not have had the the screen time that you might have, like I, I didn't engage with that very much, which I think helped because if I did see that go on, it kind of uh, made me upset and I would turn it off. So I, I, I remember that and thank you for reminding me of those times where I did see that negative representation, but I also, I didn't really relate if that makes any sense to Mm. the people that I saw Um, One, because they were just adults. And as we know, when you transition as an adult rather than as a younger person, the um, effects of the hormones and the way you transition is different. And so... I um I, I I saw representation in like on America's Next Top Model actually with Isis King who's a Love gorgeous her. model and she really was at that same time where I would have been watching TV and seeing Maury I also saw her um, mm-hmm. and so I kind of knew that there was a way that I could be a model because I had always wanted to be a model and be transgender. Uh, so I think that outweighed what I did see, but there was, of course, that negative representation and, and I lived so close to New York city and my, well, now my ex stepdad was a theater actor. So I was surrounded by this community. Um, but I didn't relate to the community and I will admit that, you know, before anyone else, uh, could like I, did not identify with being transgender. I identified with being a woman. And I think that rings true to the day that trans women are women. We're just women. And although we put our labels as trans activist, trans writer, trans model, at the end of the day, I'm an activist. I'm a model, I'm a writer, and I'm transgender. And so I, I, I try to find you know, the good in the fact that I didn't identify with the community because in a way it really helped me. I think that's really amazing just to hear that 
I don't know your perspective and your side on, on, on how you viewed yourself, especially at a young age to disconnect almost from all the negativity. Um, cause I like, I specifically me, I grew up in a very conservative household. My parents were very Catholic Mexicans. And so, you know, growing up, there was that, that I, I put a shell around me immediately cause there was always that pressure to be this masculine individual that was, that was just put on to me generation after generation after generation. And, um, yeah, I, I liked how, what you said earlier about kind of building and creating this fantasy world. And cause I remember specifically when I was younger and so dysphoric, I would just kind of be in my own room, in my own head. And that's the only place that I allowed myself to express my femininity in any way. And I used to daydream and imagine like all these scenarios where I could like transform <laughs> into like, and like, I would literally to the, to the point where like, I don't, I got so like excited to just be alone in my own room in order to like, like understand and just kind of get away from everything that was real. So like, absolutely. You're making me cry. Cause I like completely, completely understand what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it, it would be like small things that like when you're a kid, like you don't really understand why those things are so important to you. Like if it was like me getting a pillowcase and like putting my legs in it to pretend I was like a mermaid or something. And like, like it was like the silliest things that like, you know, kids are so innocent and they, they really don't know. And like, I know a big, like notable quote from you is, um, you know, I wasn't born a boy. I wasn't born a girl. I was, you know, born trans, transgender. And um, I, I really like love that. And I resonate with that because you know, coming out when I officially did, when I was 19 years old, my mom, her constant thing was like, what did I do wrong? Like, what was the thing that I did wrong? Like, mm -hmm. like, where did I make that mistake? And it's like, you know, well, we're born this way. You know, I've, I've had, you know, these issues since a very, very young age. Like I've not even issues. I just had these feelings. I knew that it was different from a very, very young age. And it's just, I've always been this way. And it's just because, you know, there's so much pressure and um, society that puts a lot on you, you kind of feel like you have to create that world where you're like, like trapped in. And yeah, I just wanted to know, was that like, kind of like how you felt? Was that something? Absolutely. I, I again, the fantasy world thing, like it's so, I've, I didn't know other people felt that way until right now. I, I really, truly have, put myself in a world where I was woman, right? And so I believed it. And it just, I think it's a part of the trans experience because we can't live it out loud. So we live it in our heads. Um, and it's interesting because not only was I so far behind my peers in puberty because at 17, when they were just coming out of like, you know, their catty phases, I was basically hormonally like a 13 year old. So I was so far behind my peers, but I also was so far behind because I was still playing dress up. I was still trying to live this world out, you know, in my bedroom, in my thoughts. And I just, I want to thank you for sharing that because I really haven't heard um, anyone else do what I was also doing. So that makes it very cool for me. Um, and also... I think that um, it, because you came out at an 
at an older age and might not have expressed what you had been feeling all those years, I could see, potentially see why maybe your mom could put the could put the blame on herself. Whereas for me, I always I wasn't hiding really anything. I was just acting. I was just acting out what I what I thought was was my normal, and I think my mom could differentiate between something that environmental that she would have done to make that happen, which was obviously nothing, and realizing that this is just how I was. I, I, Corey transitioning in high school made sense for Corey because I wasn't gay, and she could see that, you know. So when I did start to come out and in front of my peers. The rumors were like, oh, Corey's gay. Corey wants attention, this, that, and the other. Corey doesn't want to be gay, so Corey's just going to become a girl to like, oh, wait, this makes sense for Corey. So I, I don't have the same experience as you just for that reason of I, it wasn't like a shock, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't like a, a big surprise to anyone. Um, it was more, wait, this actually makes sense, which is probably why... I did have a bit of a smoother transition in front of all these people that could have, it could have very well gone wrong. I mean, high schoolers are mean and I'm, you know, we're all three of us very lucky to be alive. And uh, I, I think it was just because I had always been a certain way that it just kind of made it almost easier for people to accept the fact that I was doing this very taboo at the time thing. If that makes yeah. any sense. It does. And I definitely want to touch on like the differentiating between being gay and being trans because I know that's something that we've also talked about. Like you were saying, I like obviously there was gay representation in the media in the 90s and early 2000s. But like you said, I didn't feel gay either. And I didn't know what my label was, but I knew that that was an option. I knew sexuality, differences in sexuality existed, but I never felt gay because I did not feel as if I was a man. I always felt as if I was a woman. And I think that also plays a big part in kind of education and people not understanding the transition process because they still think that you are a man because you're transitioning. You just look like a woman. And that's something that I think with more representation, we're trying to break. But it's definitely hard to try to navigate in a world where people don't understand the difference between sexuality and between gender identity. Because for so long, like the gay label was kind of enforced on me because I was pretty effeminate growing up. Mm -hmm. And people would like tell me like, why are you trying to hide it? Why are you doing this? Why won't you just accept the fact that you're gay? Because I, like I said, I didn't identify as a man. So is, was that label kind of enforced on you as well, especially in high school? Because yeah, high school kids are definitely rude. They gossip a lot. They say mean things. So was that a label that was kind of enforced on you too? Or was it Absolutely. mostly people understanding? No, I mean, yes, it was people understanding, but before the transition, um, it was very much so Corey's the gay friend of the group. Mm -hmm. Corey is so, so extra, so dramatic, so feminine, so, you know, you know the words that could come out yeah. of a high schooler's mouth. Um, and it really bothered me. And that was part of what weighed on my soul was because, because I knew 
the term at 12 and that it was something that could possibly exist. I didn't know that the transition thing could go as well as it could go or not go, but I, I knew that it existed. And so because I had that sense of self, it weighed more on me because I knew that I was being perceived one way even more so now. You know, when I was a kid, it was like, well, I don't know either what I am. But uh, once I realized, it was like, okay, I know what I am and you, and I can't even say anything. I can't. I have to get up. I have to dress a body that I hate so much and go to school and sit in class and try to be a good student in a very competitive town and perform and try to take on this gay role. But I never once said I'm gay. And I was asked all the time, are you gay? Why won't you come out as gay? We know you're gay. You know, you can tell me, Corey, you can tell me anything. I'm your best friend. We're gay. And I would be like, I'm not gay. And they go, well, what are you? Are you attracted to women? I was like, no, I'm just not gay. And that's what I would say, because I didn't even want to go there in the conversation. And when I did start to go there before I started transitioning, and I did tell a few words, a few friends, the word transgender, they kind of thought it was a sexuality, you know? And so it still kept that there. Remember, still 10 years ago, so different time, but they didn't fully grasp the concept of there being more than just man, woman in a gender. And I did feel that way very much so of having to uh, take on this gay role as a friend, as a brother um, at the time, as a a child, um, and kind of work around it in a way that felt comfortable to me, but also felt comfortable to my peers. And that was just not saying anything, not admitting to being gay, but also not, I don't need to say anything about being trans. Yeah. I think it's so interesting to hear that. Um, like you almost, like you're saying, like you almost kind of played into the role. And I always find it like really cool that, I guess not cool, but interesting where um, you hear a lot of trans women where like specifically for me, I felt like the complete opposite where I was like, when I was younger, I was really effeminate. And then as I started kind of getting to like the puberty age, and I think I did everything I could to masculate, like make myself as masculine as possible, because I wanted to be, you know, as far away from that label. And I didn't want anyone to assume anything of me. So I was the quietest kid. I had like, only like a handful of friends. I really made sure that I completely made no one come into contact with me to assume or Mm. speculate anything about me. Mm. So I was like really reserved. I was really, really quiet. And I, you know, I made my voice as deep as possible. I, it's Mm. crazy looking back at like old videos or like old, like, you know, clips of me. Cause like my voice was so masculine because I was really trying to play this role. I have an older brother. So everything my older brother was, I would literally mimic. He would be like, obsessed with video games and so I would pretend that I liked the video games he did and I would like yeah really, I've been there yeah or it's like you really get like involved in like and like them and like because you want mm-hmm. to be like some like the the person that they are because they feel they seem they're older they seem so secure in their identity and when I was younger I definitely wasn't I have older siblings older sisters too I was I'm the baby of the group and so um it was really hard to like you know try and be my brother when I had so many like sisters and I was like, like, I want to do this. I want to, I want to be able to do that and feel that. And so I think it's really cool to kind of hear like the difference in like between 
um, like our stories and how we're up. I like, I was very involved. I was trying to like date as many like women as I could because I didn't want anyone to perceive me as being anything but like a straight male because um, I just, I was, I thought that's what I had to do. And so it was really a weird, interesting, like, like feeling of being like, you know, I have to be this person because everyone's telling me to. Yeah. I, um, I relate to you though, in the sense of the video games, which I'm like kind of remembering as we speak, because I too have an older brother who I didn't feel like I needed to be like him whatsoever, obviously, but I did want to feel like I could still relate to him as a sibling. And so I would perform in a way and I would like watch, I would just sit in his room and watch him play video games just so I could be there with him, you know? Exactly. And it's so interesting because like, I didn't care. I didn't care about Halo. I didn't care about all these like Prince of Persia and all the games that he was playing. But at the same time, remember that it's games, but at the same time I would like go on GameCube and I would play like the Sims and like create Oh so, God, like, I, I could it. seem like I was playing video games, but I was creating, like, my own feminine world in The Sims, or, like, I'd play Spongebob, or, but I would be like, look, I'm playing video games, like, I I'm, I relate to you, or I'm playing, I'm being Princess Peach in Super Smash Bros, and letting him beat the crap out of me, and I, I did try to still have that brotherly bond, even though I didn't feel like a brother, if that makes any sense. I completely, it makes so much sense. I, I completely feel that because I would do the same with, with my brother. I was always like, you know, the watcher. So he would always just be in the room and I'd just be next to him because I wanted yeah. to be with him. <laughs> and I wanted it to seem that we were like as close as, I mean, we're four years apart or like three, three and a half, four years apart. And so it was very like much like I would watch him. And then when he was gone, I would like jump on a video game and then always make my avatar like a, a woman. And if he would ever yeah. caught me, I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm just like, I'm I'm just, you know, testing out different things. I don't know. Like, um, it was just like, yeah, that's so interesting. Because like, it, my brother was definitely someone that was really close to me growing up as much as he hated me, but we were still really close. And so it was, yeah, that's really cool to hear that similarity. Because I think that's, I think that happens a lot when it comes to um, sibling pressures, I think, when it comes to like transitioning and young trans individuals, like, you know, feeling really? the need to like relate to someone because that's how they are and you you think that's how you have to be absolutely i completely get that and i think that's a good point because i'm actually an only child so i didn't have like a sibling pressure i didn't have a brother or sister to look up to but i was also under the pressure of trying to be like the perfect child for my parents because they only had one and i was basically all they had Mm -hmm. so i was always so scared that if I transition or if I do something wrong or if I'm a disappointment that it's going to fall harder on them because I'm the only child that they have. And they basically poured all of their love and affection into me growing up. So I definitely can't relate to that in a different way in a sense that I didn't have anybody to compare myself to. So I kind of internalized that all as, Oh, I have to be perfect all the time and all that type of stuff. And definitely the video games too, because we talked about like fantasy world and video games were like my fantasy world. I literally played the Sims all the time, made female (laughs) characters. I would always make a character that was female in every single game that I ever played in my entire life because it was like a way for you to 
express like what you wish you looked like or the life that you wish mm-hmm. you had. Like I would have killed back then to be my sim and have like two kids in a nice suburban neighborhood, like yeah. with my husband and stuff like that. So it definitely does give you an option to explore stuff that you can't really access at that point. And little did we know what we were really doing. I mean, maybe we did, but like, I mean, I did a little, but at the same time, like we were really just, it's kind of, it's sad. We were just trying to live out something, you know, however we could, which is so interesting that video games really did give us, it seems that outlet, whereas it's been sold as a male toy, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. And a lot of people like nowadays, especially think that video games is like a male dominated field, but there's actually like a 50, 50 split between female players and male players. So it definitely does go to show that like people who identify as female do enjoy these video games and do enjoy an outlet to kind of live in a fantasy life and all that type of stuff. And you know what? I used to love the game, uh, true crime streets of LA. I don't know if you've ever played it. Yeah, like I loved that, and I was just this badass guy going around and running over things. <laughs> but I loved it, even and I wasn't even a female in the. But you know, like yeah. I still enjoyed it, and I still also enjoyed playing with Barbies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I think there's so, just too much pressure on gender roles in in, in in general when it comes to just things that that don't need them. Um, yeah, like I, but I also think it's cool to see the development in like the communities like that. Because my brother is very involved in like the Smash community, Super Smash Bros. And so I would always go to tournaments and stuff with him. But it's really cool to like, if you go there now, a lot of the community, you see a lot of trans individuals partaking and you see a lot of like women that are um, also in. So and like the, just the group of people that are like, you know, battling or uh, competing in the tournament. So I I think it's cool to see that, you know, there is some, I think, movements with that. And like H said, if it's like a 50% split, it's it's really i think important to address that yeah Yeah, i love that so as it's probably obvious representation did have like a different effect on all of us in the way that we transitioned and figured out our identities growing up Um, i think that's a good point to kind of jump into the next topic which is about like stealth dating all that type of stuff so as you mentioned before stealth basically Um, is a term to describe a trans person who does not disclose their trans identity and just lives life as the gender they identify as. And there are many different reasons for a person to go stealth. It could be due to family issues. It could be society. It could be completely internal. It's just a decision that they want to do on their own. But I think there definitely is a lot to unpack when we're discussing stealth. For me, personally, ever since I moved to L.A., um, I basically haven't told any of my coworkers or anybody that I know here that I am trans. Um, It's not something that I'm hiding. Like if they figure out, oh, I have a YouTube channel or a podcast or through any social media, it's not something I'm going to hide. But I'm not going to go out of my way to explain to somebody that I'm trans because it's such a small part of who I am as a person. Like, like you were saying, I'm so much more than just being trans. I like, I have hobbies, I have interests, I have goals and dreams and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm a person. So it's not something that I am actively telling people. So I kind of just wanted to get your insight on your reasoning for going stealth. Was it something that you just wanted to do for yourself? Or do you think that society and the way 
that representation was going at the time had an influence on, oh, hey, I just want to be able to live my life normally without this label over me. No, I felt that it was the only option. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no other option for me. There was no going to college and being out. Um, that wasn't um, even a slightest bit of a possibility for me. Uh, and I think it stems from the world. Putting, and I, I mentioned this a little before, and I would love to dive deeper into it, but our world to this day and what I'm working so hard on deconstructing, although I've had all of it in the world, is this passing culture that trans women, okay, you want to be trans, you want to transition, you want to do this, fine, but you need to look, act, walk, talk, be a woman. And to society, a woman means hyper-feminine, ladylike, swaying your hips when you walk, being smaller framed, having a higher pitched voice, long hair, whatever it is, facial feminization, all these things that if you want, totally by all means, go for it. But that doesn't make you any more or less trans. But at the time, I just didn't know this, obviously. And I had passing privilege, which, you know, we know the socioeconomic background and the genetic makeup. And I felt that why wouldn't I be able to go to college and have the experience that all of my friends were having? Why couldn't I go and date and go to classes and have sex? I mean, once I have surgery, have sex and do all these things that all these other girls got to do. I mean, I just, I finally just wanted to be treated like a quote unquote normal girl. And in high school, although I lived my last two years as a, as a woman, I was still this trans girl. I was the girl that all the guys were so afraid of liking because I was attractive, but what does it mean for them? Does it make them gay? Um, Which we all know, of course, it doesn't. But at the time, I just wanted a shot at a normal life. And I personally really wanted a very cookie-cutter lifestyle when I was younger. I wanted to go to to school, become a celebrity publicist, uh, like Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. I studied PR. And then marry really rich, have some kids, never tell anyone I was trans, and live my life that way. And I also didn't think that the trans movement would even happen until I was in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, if ever. I really did not know. Neither did my therapist, who is so incredibly intelligent and has written books on on transition Um and, and even to her, we just, we would have conversation after conversation about when would I tell a guy? When would it be the right time? And, and to be honest with you, there was not the right time for me going into college to be out because it would have been dangerous. I was going to a school on Long Island where not everyone is that liberal. Of course, Hofstra, where I did go to university, was very liberal. Um, and they knew they had marked my, uh, or flagged my application. So they knew I was trans. My college essay was on becoming the first trans prom queen. So they understood, but my classmates didn't, my teachers didn't know, no one knew. And that gave me that opportunity to live the life that I wanted. And I did have sexual reassignment surgery, um, after my freshman year of college, it was the day after my 19th birthday, which is my own version of complete. And that led me to be able to date the way I wanted to date because I'd already been dating. And life for me couldn't move forward without surgery because I wanted to date the way I wanted to date. And 
after surgery and going through college and going through the motions, I decided to study abroad in Amsterdam. And when I did that, I got a minor in the sociology of gender and sexuality. And that was the first time I learned about trans people as a community, that we have had a long history since the beginning of time, and that gender and sexuality are, 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 can be fluid and be on a spectrum. And so when I gained that, gained that knowledge and still living stealth, I was like, hmm, why? And, and before that, I was like, why me? Why did I have to be born in the wrong body? And then I realized I'm not born in the wrong body. My soul in this life is, is to make some sort of change. And I know now that I'm not in the wrong body. I'm in the right body and that everyone else has, has, has put us out, has boxed us out of the only two boxes that they want to see. And so when I went back to school for my senior year after coming back from Amsterdam, I had the knowledge of the trans community. And then Caitlin came out. And when she opened up that conversation, I was like, okay, I might not need to be living this double life for much longer. And so that entire next year, I really focused heavily on thinking of a way to come out because I wasn't introducing my high school friends to my college friends. And I was so nervous about my words colliding. And it was a lot. It was very heavy. And I realized there was a way I could be out. And But if I was going to come out, if I was going to make that decision to give up this cookie cutter lifestyle I always wanted, it would have to be for a huge reason. And that reason is changing how we perceive and treat transgender people and humanizing us. So although I think that for me at the time, it was the right thing to do by being stealth, I don't necessarily... And by the way, I'm the same as you. I don't tell everyone I'm trans. I mean, of course, the second they look me up, they know. But I also don't live my life saying, hey, I'm Corey, I'm trans. But I also... I don't necessarily think that being stealth, I think it can be quite damaging now because it's saying that we need to hide ourselves, not day to day, but in general. Like if you were to really, if someone were to ask you, hey, are you trans? And then you say no, I think that's damaging to not only them because they don't have the opportunity to grow, but to you because you don't have the opportunity to be yourself. So, and I don't mean you, you, I mean you as in anyone doing this. And so I do think now that because we know that trans people are not born in the wrong body and that we are born transgender, I think that we should have the confidence um, to to be ourselves and to not um, play into this thing of passing and living in secret and doing what society says. I mean, we are already going against what they want us to do by becoming our own selves. Why not be our own selves every second of every day? And that's kind of where I'm coming from now. And I do mentor um, a few trans women. And one of them uh, was a high school student who actually went to the high school that I went to, of course, years later, and she wanted to go to college stealth. And I said, I don't think it'll be a good idea. And she goes, well, you did that. And I said, but I did it at a much different time. And what ended up happening was really sad because she went to school stealth and everyone found out and she had to leave. And so I just don't want that for our world. I want our our trans children and teens and adults and anyone to be able to feel themselves and feel comfortable. But I also do understand that people don't live on the coasts and that there are that that most places are very dangerous. So it's really it's such a complicated uh, situation because not everyone has the the privilege of being themselves and being safe. And it's just a lot. It's a lot to unpack, as we keep saying. 
Yeah, I totally agree. There are two things that you mentioned that I really want to talk about because I okay. also relate as well. So the whole college thing, I got a bachelor's degree in human rights, but I specialize in um, race, gender, and sexuality. So okay. basically throughout my college career, I, I was transitioned, but like race, gender, sexuality, all that type of stuff literally was my life for four years because that was my major. Mm. Um, and like I said, I didn't, I never denied that I was trans if somebody asked me, but since the conversation in all of my classes was so gender identity driven and so sexuality driven, there were a lot of times when people would talk out with misinformation, like they would mm. think that they know about the transitioning process and how mm -hmm. hormones affect your body, but they actually didn't. So I felt like it was my responsibility to like step out and say, hey, I'm actually trans. I know I'm I feel like I know a little bit more about this topic than you since it's actually something that I have dealt with and I'm currently dealing with and will deal with for the rest of my life, basically. Um, so basically my whole college career, I was constantly explaining the process of transitioning and all the effects that hormones do to your body. And after class, people would come up to me and be like, Oh, so when did you start transitioning? Like, have you had any surgeries? What do hormones do? Blah, blah, blah. Basically interrogating me on Berating you, my yeah. Ident identity. Yeah. So when I moved out to LA, I was like, I still do want to be that person. Like I've been always open. I've documented my transition on YouTube ever since I started. But I wanted to focus on other parts of myself since as you should all for college yeah all for college i was explaining to people the trans process and educating people so it's not that i am stealth because i am like trying to hide it or ashamed of it i just would like to live and have people <laughs> experience me for every other yeah. aspect of my identity yeah well thank you for also educating everyone in your classes yeah. because i would sit in this class these classes and seethe and be so upset because i so badly wanted to shout from the rooftops like you know nothing about me you know nothing about our lives but i was stealth and i couldn't do that so mm -hmm. thank you for doing that yeah because that takes a lot of guts yeah, it was pretty hard. Um, and then yeah. the second thing was about passing privilege, which is something that I am also like so strongly with you on. We actually talked about it a little bit in a previous podcast, but like we were talking about how trans women kind of can't win because for the most part, we have like this hyper feminine caricature that we're supposed to embody, like long nails, long hair, makeup, hourglass figure, Botox, blah, blah, blah. That's what people think a trans woman should look like. Botox. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like <laughs> okay. when um, like a trans person doesn't have that ideal body figure, they're like, so why are you even putting yourself through this if you're not going to try to look feminine? Because there oh. are so many trans women that are not about that lifestyle. Like I'm definitely, I do like to dress up and I am pretty feminine, but I also don't like to wear dresses sometimes I like to wear sneakers blah 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 and I've always had people say like so when are you gonna you know start wearing dresses and wearing more makeup and so it's like we're stuck in a point where if we're too feminine it's like you need to calm down that's not actually how real women are but if we're not feminine enough they're like you need to be more feminine because that's how women are so it's definitely it has to do a lot with passing privilege and I think there are so many different ways to be a woman. I don't think, I know there are so many different ways to be a woman. Right. And right. I think trans women are pretty much expected to be one specific type. And that's what really sucks in our community at the moment. Absolutely. It sucks. But at the same time, 
we have the ability to um, prove that we that they that we aren't this one type, and it's very interesting because when someone does look at me, they see all the privilege in the world, and I'm the first to admit that I'm white, I'm blonde, mm-hmm. I had the support of my family and friends. I mean, the list goes on. I'm conventionally what people would see as good looking and passable. And I'm even saying that it doesn't need, it shouldn't be this way. There is no, just because I am five, five and three fourths, but if you are a modeling agency, I'm five ten. Um, if you, you know, just because I'm smaller framed or whatever, I'm seen as less trans, I, I, it's actually offensive. I mean, I am just as trans as, and as anyone else because I've had that experience. And on the flip side of it, I mean, there was a time in my life where people told me that I shouldn't come out because trans women would hate me. Like those were words that people really genuinely said to me. And it hurt to know that I, I might have been ostracized from women I totally connect with um, because I had you know, a supportive community or privilege or whatever it was. And I think it just goes to say that no matter what we look like or act like or make up on our faces or don't make up on our faces, it doesn't make us any more or less trans. We are women of trans experience or men of trans experience or people of trans experience. And I think there is something super empowering about the fact that you don't need to wear makeup. I mean, I am as feminine as it gets. Like I love pink and mascara, but I also walk around probably 360 days of the year without makeup on and, you know, baggy clothes. And I don't really put the effort that most people would think I, I put in, you know, and I find that empowering because there was a time where I was putting a full face on and trying to wear the shortest skirt possible and and all of that stuff to attract people and make people think I'm more feminine or more of a woman. But I think the big takeaway from this is that woman is whatever we want woman to be. Woman doesn't mean penis vagina. It doesn't mean higher cheekbones. It doesn't mean a smaller rib cage. Woman is whatever you think woman is. And that's, I guess, where I come from in that standpoint. And I just hope that we can can work towards that because I do agree we are in a weird, I don't think it's necessarily a lose-lose situation, but we are in a very interesting time and we are all able to experience it and we'll be able to talk about it in the future when I feel like we will be past it. But for now, I think it's just about empowering ourselves. And I think that energy that we take with us on our day-to-day will then affect the people around us without us having to say anything. I definitely think it's important, you know, to do, as you said, and try and get away from this whole idea of what a woman is. I feel like especially there's a lot of um, emotions. There's a lot of opinions that come within the trans community a lot too. I feel like whenever I first started transitioning, automatically there's like a set list. There's a list of things that that is like supposed to be done by you and your transition. Like you need to start hormones. You need to, or yeah, you need to be full-time. Then you need to start hormones. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to get all the surgeries. And that's how you become a woman. And it's like the most frustrating thing. And it's, there's so much pressure that goes on it. It's also very, 
um, I would say like ableist, it's very, in, in a sense where it's, it can be frustrating for people who might not have the income to do that. They might, they might not have mm -hmm. the ability or the access to be able to get all that they need or they want it in, to an external extent. And then the pressure that's put on us as a community, it can be really um, frustrating for those people because, or hard for those people because they believe that they have to do this in order to be fully themselves, in order to be fully valid. And I 100% agree with you where I think there, we just, we really should redefine what a woman is and, and especially at like a trans woman and how we can, you know, ourselves be accepting or our, ourselves be more in tuned with who we are. And so I, I, I definitely think that there is so much pressure that comes with getting surgeries. There's so much pressure that comes with like um, the whole idea of like gender confirming surgeries when I personally, I don't believe that in order to be a trans woman, in order to be a, like a woman, you need to get bottom surgery. You need to get FFS. You need to get a breast augmentation. Like I, like all of that stuff. I think it's just like complete made up things that are pressures for no reason that maybe, you know, certain trans people don't believe they need it, but they still get it because in our community, we're telling each other that this is mm -hmm. this is what needs to be done and so it can mm -hmm. be a little overwhelming and i just kind of want to know your thoughts on like surgeries in general and how you feel about the whole process yeah um i mean like i just said penis vagina doesn't equal man or woman but for me a vagina very much so meant I was complete. That is what I call my version of complete was sexual reassignment surgery, which I think is now called gender affirmation surgery. But um, SRS, so we called it, that was my goal. That for me meant I could date how I wanted to date. And that's all I've ever wanted was to be loved by a man. And through sex, through dating, through marriage and children, whatever, I want, I want that. And I personally needed that in order for my life to move on. I mean, my therapist said it best to me during my freshman year of college. She said, your life is at a halt. You are at a standstill. And for you, you do need surgery to go on. But that doesn't mean everyone needs it. Absolutely not. And I do, I, I see what you mean by there is even within the community, with infighting or wh whatever you want to call it, like we do put pressure on each other to look and act and have certain things done to us. And I mean, I, I, I never had FFS. I am, I know that it is a, a big deal in our community, but maybe there is a lot of pressure being put on people who wouldn't necessarily want it, but might feel that they need it. Um, for me, I didn't feel that pressure. Um, I also was lucky enough to have broken my nose during my transition. So I kind of had to get a nose job, which kind of helped <laughs> me a lot. It was like a blessing and a curse at the same time. Although my doctor said to me, he's like, well, I'm not going to really touch your nose much. I'm going to kind of leave it like masculine a little bit in case you change your mind. And I was like, um, okay. But it kind of worked out for me in that sense, um, which is interesting because he, what he thought was like this more masculine nose is quite feminine and works for my face. So I understand that um, surgery can play a huge part in your confidence as a person, not a woman, but as a human being. I mean, I am always off and on about getting my breasts done, 
but not because I want to feel more of a woman. I kind of just want to feel more of an adult, if that makes any sense. Um, it's not necessarily like a trans thing. It's just like a adult type of thing. Um, and I feel that we are, yes, we have a lot of like pressure put on us, but I think we also have for so long not felt like ourselves that when we do start to transition, we want to kind of do everything we can to, to feel validated. For me, that validation was sex. Um, but for someone else, it might be um, facial feminization or just the fact of like growing out their hair and wearing makeup and nails and nothing else done just knowing that they can walk on the street and be perceived as a woman um, or treated as such with having no surgery. I mean, there's no right or wrong way, as you guys said earlier, and I do say often, like no two, two, two transition stories are the same and not exact. And I don't think we should be confined to do um, everything or nothing. I mean, it's so interesting now because trans is truly an umbrella for fluidity and non-binary. I mean, there's so much, there's just so much now. And I think to put this pressure on us, it's just damaging. And I feel like if I, if I were to, have picked apart everything I didn't like about myself, I don't think I would feel myself if I had gotten all of that done. So for me, all I wanted to do was have that surgery. And once I did, that was my version of complete. That is what made me feel my best. And whatever it is that someone needs to do to make them feel their best, I say, go for it. That could be nothing at all, or it could be everything. I think it's up to that person. And I think that we in the community put so much pressure on each other because we are all a representation of each other, which is interesting, but it is what it is. You know, people see one trans person and assume it's for all. So by being ourselves and by not conforming to anything or conforming, it's showing how different we all are and that we all are just human and different types of human and different types of trans. And that's really beautiful. It's just about making sure everyone else starts to see that. Thank you guys for listening to part one of this two-part series. We're incredibly thankful that Corey took time out of her day to have a very emotional conversation with us. The next episode gets a lot more personal and we're beyond excited for you all to hear. Part two will be released Monday, August 5th. If you haven't already, follow Girlish on Instagram at Girlish Podcast and follow the beautiful Corey Ray at I'm Corey Ray. Thank you guys for everything, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Till then. Bye.